Your boredom is over because we're just getting started here on Most Shows Recapped here on Post Show Recaps. Hello, everybody. I'm Josh Wiggler. I'm very excited about this one because this is going to be about a lot of TV that I'm probably not watching but should be watching. Same goes to all of you folks, except hopefully many of you are watching these shows. Antonio Mazzaro is here, as he always is. Antonio, what's going on? I just wait here, Josh. I wait for Most Shows Recaps to start every week. I just sit here at my desk with my microphone waiting. That's just like your default mode when the when we're not recording. You're just there. You only exist in the podcast. I'm like the I'm like a Roomba. Like I return to my station when I'm not <laughs> out. Yeah, doing things. Yeah, Mazar Roomba. <laughs> no, 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 no. No. Yes. Uh, Yes. No Rob Sesternino this week. He is Aww. busy being the man of the hour of Bout Town and doing all the crazy stuff. So no Rob, but instead of Rob, we have somebody very wonderful who is here to share all of his favorite funny things with us today. Mike Bloom! Hello. Welcome to Bloom's Comedy Room. <laughs> oh, oh boy. Sounds Did like you bring us exclusives? Sounds like, the, sounds like the club that no comedians want to play at. They're like, oh, God, I have to do Bloom's Comedy Room. Great. I mean, I might as well drink my face off beforehand. No one wants to be in Bloom's Comedy Room, but that's where we are. Somehow you have like you, tra- you trapped Antonio and I. You got us at gunpoint. You cornered us in. And now we're here. Let's play a game. Blue's what, comedy Roomba. We can do it. What's the game? What do we want to play? Uh, I, it's, I guess we're playing a version of like TV comedy Russian roulette here. And, and then oh, we're going to spin the microphone and we're going to we're going to talk about a variety of shows today. So, yeah, I mean, I, I brought to the table a bunch of uh, I've narrowed it down to currently airing TV shows. And, you know, currently airing is in loose quotations because in this day of streamable television, sometimes things all drop on one day, as will be a couple of the cases here. But yeah, I figured th- there's a lot of stuff that's going on where the peak TV, as has been coined before. So I thought this would be a great opportunity to just sort of throw a bunch of shows out there and talk about what we like and what we don't like. So that's the game plan for this week's Most Shows Recap. We are talking about Mike Bloom's special picks of comedy. Mike Bloom, of course, has been here on Most Shows before, is a regular here on Post Show Recaps. How's Once Upon a Time going, Mike? Great. I would argue it's the best season since the first. And Kurt Clark and I, I mean, uh, Kurt's in like rare form. I feel like we're having a great time just talking about everything. Uh, and it, is it a rare form that Kurt's having a great time? Is that what you're suggesting? No, I just mean that like he's been like <laughs> super duper on point with everything and not to say that he hasn't beforehand, but I feel like when, it, when you guys understand this, when good TV is happening, you're even more charged and energized to talk about this stuff. So I feel like that's only informed our podcasting more from here on out. Locked in. He's locked in. All right, sweet. So we've got Once Upon a Time with Mike Bloom and Kurt Clark. That's happening. And now Mike is here to talk about all sorts of comedy. That's what we're going to do here on Most Shows Recapped today and just talk about a bunch of different shows. Uh, I'm, I've got a lot of comedy sitcom blind spots. So, Mike, I think you're going to help me out. I'm in this place right now where I'm really looking for just a very easy show to watch. And I probably can only pick one right now. So maybe you can guide me through the selection process throughout this podcast. Well, unfortunately, we won't be talking about blind spot josh because that's not really a comedy and i haven't seen <laughs> not it, so. the blind spot oh, which okay. i also, i have not gotten into that yet antonio have you seen the blind spot and if so how many times i'm just bowled over by the uh wordplay that goes on in mike bloom's comedy room i'm really uh-huh. bowled over by that's it. all so, it yeah. has going for it at this point <laughs> <laughs> i have not seen blind spot not even once josh if you can believe it not even once, not even once. Well, maybe we'll fix that at one one point in the future. Uh, not today. Not today. We not, still have to do the Quantico podcast first. 
Yes. Yeah. We have to, we, we're not going to do that either, but go ahead. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're going to open the floor to Mike here. And this is great timing too. When Mike uh, came to us with the idea and said, Hey, let's talk about some comedy stuff. Uh, we had a weekend open. We had a weekend slot open here on Mo shows recapped. And it just so happens to be the same weekend that the first show I think you're going to talk about. Mike is premiering in its entirety on Netflix, the second season of the unbreakable or unbloomable as some might say, Kimmy Schmidt. Yes. Uh, the show, has metaphorically crawled out of the bunker once again after a year hiatus. One of the downsides of having all this bingeable comedy at your fingers is that it often disappears as quickly as it enters the stream. But yeah, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt just dropped on the day we're recording today, April 15th for its second season. Uh, For those of you that might not be familiar with it, it comes from Tina Fey and Robert Carlock, who were the two big brains behind 30 Rock, which ran on NBC for a good number of years. And basically, it's about a woman who uh, was basically kidnapped and held in an underground bunker as part of a cult and essentially she escaped the bunker 15 years later and now she's Myrism? It, it might have been <laughs> who knows maybe it's maybe it's a path tie-in that we just don't know about and that's going to be yeah. the big final scene of both shows uh, but essentially yeah. the show is about her kind of acclimating to new york city life and basically life in the uh the mid 2010s uh it was a big hit last year i believe i know everyone that i, I at least talked to was really passionate about it. It got nominated for Best Comedy at the Emmys, which is pretty big for a freshman comedy, and now it's back for a second season. And now I know I've talked about it on the podcast before. I talked to, about it with uh, Haley, Haley Strong last year. Antonio, I know you and I talked about it a little bit when we were talking about uh, Master of None previously. Josh, I know you've watched the first season, but I don't think I've ever heard your thoughts on the show before, so I'd, I'd love to just start off by hearing what your thoughts are on Kimmy Schmidt. Yeah, no, I watched the first season of Kimmy Schmidt, but I watched the first season of Kimmy Schmidt over the course of like a year. Uh, it took me a year to finish Kimmy Schmidt. Uh, I'm not exactly sure why we got my wife and I, we were watching it on vacation when it came out. Uh, we watched the first eight or so episodes, got home, just did not get back to it. Like we had no desire to really, and not like an anti desire to keep going with it, but we just didn't have a burning itch to continue. It went on ice for several, several months. And then about a month or two ago, we were both like, oh, we never finished Kimmy Schmidt. Kimmy Schmidt's coming back. Maybe we should do that. So we finished it there. Really enjoyed, without getting into spoilers, uh, really enjoyed who it was. Who was It was not Meyerism uh, at the heart of the cult, but I won't say <laughs> whatism it was, but I was very tickled with that reveal. Uh, I thought that that was really good. I like Kimmy Schmidt. I'm not obsessed with Kimmy Schmidt, obviously. I'm not in love with the show. Otherwise, I would have just gone all the way through. Um, but I'm also not a huge 30 Rock guy. Mm. Uh, and I feel like that's probably, you know, there's something there. There's something about, you know, the, the sensibility of the show maybe just isn't like immediately going to tickle my comedy funny bone. Now, Antonio, I know when we talked, you probably were not as warm on the show either, at least not as warm as I was on it. I mean, are you, are you in the same line as Josh? And I would love to hear your thoughts on 30 Rock as well. And if like Josh, it's sort of like running and your feelings kind of run parallel or if they just vary wildly because of the different concepts. I like 30 Rock more than Kimmy Schmidt. Uh, I think 30 Rock is smarter uh, in terms of the jokes. And I think that as a result, I think Kimmy Schmidt's a show probably that should be more broadly enjoyed. It's probably number one biggest trait about it is its kookiness, I would say. I think that that comes from the premise where you've got a character who lived in a bunker for so long and doesn't really know much about the outside world and has been lied to about a lot of what's going on, emerges from the bunker and ends up in New York City. Like, that's the premise. 
that's the reason that the show brings the funny. That's what people are tuning in to see. Not only a fish out of water in a big city, like you may have seen in other shows, this is truly a fish out of a bunker into a big city, which is something I don't think anyone's ever seen. So that's where the show really butters its bread. But that's a kind of, uh, that's something I don't really like. Uh, I don't particularly like Ellie Kemper. Uh, and so her kookiness is really funny to the people who like her. But for me, it's just not my brand of comedy. I think that some of the supporting characters, especially Titus Burgess, uh, is is really, there are really funny. Uh, some of them don't fit into the show as well. I feel like um, they get the 30 Rock kind of connection with Jane Krakowski. But I just don't think she fits as well into the show uh, as Titus does. And I think the show, it, it was interesting because this is a show that was conceived for shot for uh, and really ordered by NBC. And then NBC decided we're not going to air it. And so NBC essentially sold it to Netflix. So what I'm curious about from you, Mike, is whether season two follows in a similar line from season one, or if there, from what you know, are any major changes because season two was essentially commissioned by Netflix and not by ABC. Yeah. Well, that's or, also that's sorry, interesting because because as you say that uh, we are recording this at five o'clock Eastern time on the Friday that Kimmy Schmidt has been released. Mike, how much have you even seen at this point? I've seen about two and two thirds episodes of Kimmy Schmidt okay. thus far. And I think it's like a <laughs> 13 right. episode order. So I guess I'm almost 25 percent of the way through. <laughs> wow. Yes. Yeah, and, I, and NBC was going to put this as a mid-season or a summer series. They weren't feeling very hot about uh, comedy at the time. But selling it to Netflix seemed like a really bright idea. And I think this is a good show for Netflix because the people who appreciate it can watch it and find it. And it doesn't have to be something they put on the network and expect to build an audience around. For, for 30 Rock, and, and I, I'm, I don't mean to hijack you, Mike. I have friends who live in New York City. 30 Rock is set in New York City. They told me they couldn't believe that 30 Rock wasn't the most highly rated show on television because everyone they knew watched it. And I, some of these shows just don't play as well when they're New York centric in the Midwest uh, or in, in some states that don't necessarily get the kind of uh, jokes that are about New York. And I never really felt that way about 30 Rock. I, I felt like the, the jokes in 30 Rock were a lot more about comedy and making comedy and stuff like that, uh, the, the very specific ones. But in Kimmy Schmidt, a lot of the jokes are about New York and they're not like super specific, but I don't know. It didn't lose me because of that, but I am curious, Mike, what, what's the second season like? So the second season, you know, they're there again, not to give away too much as Josh alluded to, for those of you that haven't seen it yet, but the first epi first season ended kind of on a series of cliffhangers for basically all of our main and supporting characters. And season two, again, of the two and two thirds episode I've seen thus far, they do a nice job of kind of picking up the pieces and really dealing with the situations that these characters are in. In addition to giving them new situations. Again, I don't want to spoil too much, but Titus, for example, is starting to kind of kindle a love interest, which is mm. something I did not necessarily expect to happen, considering that I think Titus Burgess does a fantastic job with the role, but that role is kind of a little bit of a two-dimensional portrait sometimes. And yes, right. it was built out more over the course of that characterization or one-off comments. I just want to uh, piggyback off after a couple things you said, Antonio. I mean, I will say the first thing this show has going for it is the theme song. If you don't have it stuck in your yes. head beforehand, it is right now, not that you're thinking about it, so you're welcome. But I do Unbreakable! Stay alive, damn it. But I agree with you about, I do think that 30 Rock is a much more specific show in terms of its viewpoint. I mean, Tina Fey came right off of SNL 
onto this show. And, you know, it was produced by Lorne Michaels helped out with it. You grab Alec Baldwin, you grab Tracy Morgan. Like it was very focused on this is my wheelhouse. I know what running a, a late night comedy show is, even though it's much more about that. It became much more of a workplace comedy later on. I feel like that's kind of what it was grounded in as opposed to, I feel like on Kimmy Schmidt, every character almost has like a different world that they're coming from. I feel like with Titus, they're able to make fun of the world of theater and live performance with, you know, Carol Kane's character. They're able to, you know, basically represent old man shaking, shakes his fist at cloud in terms of the person that, and even in this season, she's complaining, it's still complaining about gentrification while still being her kooky oddball self with Jane Krakowski. They're making fun of the rich upper crust socialite life. And I, you know, that does work to, to, middling um, expectations. I do agree. I, I love Dream Jane Krakowski usually. I don't know if she exactly fits into the landscape uh, here because I do feel like 30 Rock, at least the crazier performances, your Tracy Jordans, for example, at least were somewhat a little grounded. I think everyone does a great job on this show. It's just sometimes you feel like you're in like five different shows at once. Um, I do love Ellie Kemper. I feel like she was by far one of the best parts of the latter seasons of the office. Uh, and she, I feel like she's the only person who could play Kimmy Schmidt and actually make her endearing and likable because essentially she's playing. We talk about man children with Judd Apatow movies. She's basically playing a woman child. She's playing someone who, you know, looks 30 but plays like she's 15 and so there's a lot of 90s references there's a lot of like you know her figuring out what certain things are how to kiss how people dance etc etc and I feel like with any other actress it would be so tacky and so over the top but I for me I feel like Ellie Kemper pulls it off yeah I mean I think if you like 30 Rock and you haven't seen Kimmy Schmidt what are you doing like if you if you like TV shows that this is a great extension. It comes from a lot of the same creative DNA. You have some of the same characters. It's it participating in some of the same kind of New York jokes that 30 Rock pulled off pretty well. It's bringing a lot of different things to the table. The funniest stuff in season one to me is the time they spent away from the kind of New York story with a lot of what was going on, not only in the bunker, but outside the bunker afterwards with the prosecution and with everything. And I'm not going to get into the, the cameos that come into play there, but you'd, that's what you'd, I really... You'd be a madman to do so if you got into those cameos. I, w- I really would be, uh, and I'm not going to do that. I definitely don't want to uh, to bridge that gap, but what I would I am just say- going to quickly say that Tim Blake Nelson for life. Yes, Tim Blake Nelson, mm-hmm. very, 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 very funny. Like Delmer from uh, from, <laughs> from Old Brother, Where yeah. Art Thou? Yeah. yeah, just there's a lot of great. There, I mean, we talked a ton about People versus OJ here on uh, most shows recapped, and there's definitely I feel like a Marsha Clark, Chris Darden kind of vibe uh, that a couple characters play that have has something to do with the prosecution of of the bunker, and that all plays really funny. <laughs> so that yeah. all worked a lot better to me than the stuff where where Kimmy's in New York with Jane Krakowski and with everything that's going on there but if Should you like mike her- and i be concerned that you're so anti-new york considering yeah, yeah. mike and i are new york are you, I anti- love, are you anti-new I love york, new york values antonio no yeah. new york values are my values uh but i new will york say adam's family values i will say oh, i think there's like there's a bubble around uh you know people talk about the bubble around utah with with lds and where people only know people that are uh like them that are in the church and that there's a bubble around New York when it comes to certain things, when it comes to shows. And I just think that it's understandable to me why this show wouldn't play as well for some audiences uh, than it would for people who are right in its wheelhouse. And the only reason I mention that is I know we're going to talk about at least one other New York centric show this time, which I feel like does a better job of playing on things that play you know worldwide, even though it does a lot of New York centric humor. So mm-hmm. I only bring that up with regard to Kimmy Schmidt because 
it is is a show that I can understand why people wouldn't like it, but I can also understand why people would. And if you like Thirty Rock, uh, you should definitely watch Kimmy Schmidt un- now, unquestionably. Now, before we get to that, these New York other based shows, Josh, I know as a big parody songwriter, what are your feelings on a Pinot Noir? Which I think I feel like even the haters. This became to the haters. This even became like the highlight of Kimmy Schmidt season one. This song that Titus Andromedon performs that became a viral hit after the season dropped. Well, first, I take issue with the notion that I'm uh, a parody songwriter. I happen to have a lot of friends who are yes, really, you're, you're really a song talented producer, musicians. I should say. Song producer, yeah, producer, music man. He's an A and R uh, guy. He's an A and R yeah. guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't. Pino Noir is fun. I know it's, it's it kind of became an anthem over the past year. Of just like everywhere you go, you just hear someone go Pino Noir. Uh, it's fun. It's catchy. It's in your head. I liked it. I didn't. I, there's nothing about Kimmy Schmidt that I outright love. It's just not for me. You know, the yeah. sensibility is just not totally my thing and I can understand, uh, but P- yeah. pinot noir is fun i, I like I, pinot noir. I, i've never heard someone reference it for the record I'm really yep never Interesting. But i liked it i enjoyed it i mean we're not I'm, exactly again not to get people's hopes up about new york josh and i are not walking down the street and people are just singing <laughs> pinot noir to themselves but why wouldn't well, they maybe sing not it to the two of you <laughs> maybe not in your neighborhood mike but it happens a lot here in brooklyn you'd be surprised well, do you do you have both roseanne barr and tom berenjar living down there is that why <laughs> yeah, drinking a lot of Tom Berenger. Well, it made it, it it made its way really into I think the the big kind of pop culture when uh, when Orange is the New Black cast kind of parodied it, uh, and that was really the big kind of I think that was the. Uh, that was the kind of real big thing that I think should have been maybe because this was recently. So if you missed Pinot Noir and you missed Orange is the New Black cast kind of parodying Pinot Noir, and then you missed out on the whole thing for sure. Right. Yeah. So I, wanna- I think one of the things about Kimmy Schmidt is that like it's really bright and bubbly. And despite its kind of uncomfortable premise, yes. you know, this idea of, of Kimmy Schmidt, who had been <laughs> locked away for many, yeah. many moons, <laughs> and suddenly she's out and like, you know, that's like a very dark place to start they really do like shine big sunny lights on the thing and that's sort of the the comedy style and i think that that's great i think it's great to have something like that in the universe that's something that's guaranteed to make some people many people in in fact very very happy it just doesn't line up with what i particularly like i guess maybe that means i'm like a mean person or something i don't know it's just if the show is a little too happy for me i'm glad it exists because i think it's perfectly happy for many other people yeah i mean what 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 draw me into the show at first was its concept i mean you guys know me you had a feeling if you looked at the description of the show to be show to begin to begin with begin with, begin with the, the mole woman is now into the male world that's definitely something that would pique my interest <laughs> right first, given your history with mole women mike. yes i know you love of mole course women, you love yes. all mole people to be fair it's true exactly i'm i am gender neutral when it comes to my uh my affection towards mole personas yes. uh i love the mole speaking of which uh it's my favorite reality show but uh i i agree i think that it has a very succinct style and 30 rock does as well i would i would compare it almost to a comedic style is sort of like it's like a machine gun it's very rat-a-tat in terms of it's um there's almost like like three jokes every five yep. seconds like every line almost has a joke on it and it, it compares a lot to like old school simpsons and that mentality and that there's stories from the simpsons writing room about like how they, it became a challenge for them to eventually say like okay if we write a joke every line now let's put two jokes in every line and i think 
when you go for that, when you keep serving up all these volleyballs, you're not going to be able to hit them all. So there definitely are some misses in there. But the ones that hit, hit, in my opinion, Pinot Noir is a big one. There's one in the first episode of season two that deals with a train station that I think is is fantastic. And a, there's someone in a, who poses as a mannequin in the second episode of the second season as well. So I, I love those runners specifically. That's what keeps me really invested in the show. But I, I, I didn't go know that there was somebody posing near- as a mannequin because I do like covert mannequins. That's one of the things that I'm really into <laughs> well watch, watch at least to episode two okay. josh that'll be your that's that's your one thing you're right, looking cool. out for but I, what I, do you I, like about covert mannequins josh i think that it's just great because like you walk by you walk past mannequins so often like when you were younger you would walk past them at the storefront and you'd be like ah oh, it's a person and then you realize you would start to train yourself no that's not a person it's a mannequin but if there's actually a human posing as a mannequin and they're gonna jump out and surprise you like that's gonna give you a thrill of a lifetime because you're a really lifetime. unprepared for it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's that's You'll the never premise forget. Yeah. you would never forget yeah the mannequin popped out at you they're not supposed to do that you should track down the TV show Today's Special, Josh, if you never watched that when you were a kid. Okay. That's all I'll say. Today's Special. Okay. It's all about okay. people being mannequins right. and vice versa. Okay. Sounds good. That's, that's, An- that's Antonio's submission in Blue's Combat Room for this <laughs> no, week. No, it is not. <laughs> all right. The rescinded, rescinded. Rescinded. I want to travel along, along the train here, our, sub, our own little subway car in our metaphorical New York, and talk about another show that, Antonio, you mentioned. There are other shows that are set in New York. There How are other they? female-centric comedy shows set girls, in New York. Girls, girls. Uh, yeah, well, let's move past girls. I don't want to throw shade at girls. I want to just put it on the record that season five of Girls currently airing is an awesome season of television, and I really like that show quite a bit. That, rant over. Yeah, uh, so I talked short, about short I sweet. talked about girls as well. Uh, I I unfortunately dropped off in the middle of season four because as much as I love Gillian Jacobs, the the whole Mimi Rose thing, I wasn't too too happy about. And it was sort of like what you felt with Kimmy Schmidt. I felt with girls. Josh, where like I fell behind a couple episodes, and I'm there definitely is a period of time when I'll probably catch up to them all again. But I have no volition to until I hear that until I heard that this fifth season is apparently great. So now Fantastic. I have every reason to once once I have some time. But I'm. Let's, we'll get on the express train. We'll pass girls for now. I want to stop on uh, another show that I actually talked about in the same podcast as I talked about with girls. That is Broad City, which is created by Abby Jacobson and Alana Glazer, two female comedians. It is basically just about two girls named Abby and who Alana go around who screaming, are in New yes. York City. Yes. Essentially, if you, if you could boil it down to that log line. Yes. Yes. That's, basically, yes, that's, that's, that's what the show is. Uh, slay, it's, Bloom. It's slay. <laughs> It's basically just the misadventures of these two. And I know all three of us have what well, it's they're about to finish up their third season. I believe they just aired their ninth episode a couple days ago. And I believe all of us are pretty much caught up to it. But I mean, I, I absolutely love this show. I think it is just so much fun. Uh, the thing that I love about it specifically are not only, you know, where the characters are coming from, but a the character development you you think in a sitcom sometimes people stay in one place i mean the term flanderizing was created to really describe how characters either stay stagnant or completely degrade as sitcoms you know commence but they're making a, a habit to like bring up sitcom cliches and completely break them uh for example and i will spoil here throughout season one Abby's across the, uh, the across the hall neighbor, Jeremy, was built up as this like, will they or won't they romance, which is completely shattered in the middle of the second don't, season. Don't when go they do all get the way. Together. Don't go all the way. Yeah, it's a really good reveal. Everything that happens. Yes, <laughs> it's a good reveal. Yeah, but I'll just say that I just say that they do encounter that. And this season as well, they've been really 
it, it's been interesting. The two characters I feel like have been all about stasis, but the world around them has been increasingly changing. And the past few episodes specifically have really taken their respective worlds and completely broken them down. So Antonio, I know you had been like texting me your thoughts as you were binging the show, but I'd love to hear your overall thoughts now that you've <gasps> seen close to like 30 episodes of these two concurrently. What are your thoughts overall on the I show? I love Broad City. I do love it. I, I do love, I think the two female leads, uh, Jacobson and Glazer, really sell it. Glazer, Alana Glazer is nuts in the show as uh, she's really just all over the place uh, just sort of freewheeling like just doing and saying whatever living a very open life kind of uh, just constantly going from scene to scene as like a train wreck like a Tasmanian devil just uh, there's a great scene in season three where she's just walking down the street very happy knocks a woman into a garbage can and pisses off somebody by taking a piece of fruit and goes and she's totally oblivious and Abby Jacobson is the exact opposite she tries to be so put together she, she loves Oprah and worships her and is just tries to have it all her very favorite place in the world is Bed Bath and Beyond and she's got these whole kind of ideas about her world being well put together and meticulously they couldn't be more different in a lot of respects but they're also so very similar they're unlike female leads that we've seen on a lot of shows I think the show shares DNA with shows like Workaholics or It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia but the the intelligence level of some of what they're parodying or playing with in terms of the sitcom tropes like you're talking about, Mike, is off the charts. There's just so many memorable sequences. It's a pretty vulgar show a lot of the time. And that's very uh, vulgar. Yeah. That isn't the, 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 the strongest selling point to me. If the show was only that, then I would think it was just like Workaholics. And I really wouldn't ultimately like it at the end of the day. There's too much on TV. But the show is so much more than the vulgarity. And I think it's wrong to summarize the show by just being like, oh, it's two female acting like dudes uh, and being involved. Their show's a lot smarter than that. Uh, and there's a lot of really hilarious sequences. You talk about the machine gun joke style of, of Kimmy Schmidt. Uh, in season three of Broad City, they do a parody of Mrs. Doubtfire, which is just it, what you're halfway into it before you realize what's happening. And it's really gold. And there, there aren't just too, few shows, regardless of the protagonist, that can pull off the sort of comedy that Broad City you know, executes. It can do low concept. It can do high concept. Everything about it is incredibly endearing. The supporting characters are great. Uh, the guest stars that they've had on the show have been really funny. Everything just works so well on Broad City. I'm a huge Hannibal Barris is so good on that show. Yeah, I was going to say, Josh, tell, talk to me a little bit about, Antonio just mentioned these supporting characters and guest stars. I agree. I mean, I've been tweeting several times over the course of this season that I feel like their guest star game in particular is on point where literally every episode I'm saying, how did they get that person? I, this is absolutely ridiculous and I'm absolutely loving it. But in terms of like their more mainstay supporting characters, I would love to hear your thoughts on oh, that. Oh yeah, Josh. I'm just team Lincoln all the way. Uh, <laughs> you know, everything he does is great. I love his relationship with Alana. Uh, this was, you know, this was really my first exposure to Hannibal Buress, period. I didn't really know his work at all. I'm not a huge comedy guy. I don't watch a lot of stand-up or anything like that. Um, and it was, you know, shortly after my introduction to him in Broad City that he really, you know, became very, very well known for blowing up the whole building. Cosby thing. Oh, does, um, uh, does Emily Fox hate Hannibal Burris, Josh? No, she loves Hannibal Burris. Okay. She does not, <laughs> I know that she her childhood. You know, my wife was a huge, huge Cosby show fan as a kid, so she's having a lot of difficulty with that. She's been having difficulty with that. Uh, I mean, it's <laughs> I fairly queer, fairly queer cut, fairly queer cut, but uh, a difficult situation that she had to deal with. Uh, but yeah, no, he's he's just so funny on this show. I love him. His deadpan sense of humor is great. The things that he finds just like enormous, like you know, surprising amounts of joy. Uh, 
uh, his giddiness that comes across his face. He's the secret weapon of this show for me. And what I've really enjoyed, especially in season three, and I can't imagine it's coincidental with the fact that his star has really been on the rise lately, is that he's not used a ton on the show. I think that when he's used, it's really effective. Um, you know, they really only bring mm-hmm. the Lincoln character in if it serves the story, if it serves as a mirror to just how absurd Alana is. Uh, I just love it. Very, very, very big fan yeah. of that character. And I would agree that I'd actually agree, like, but almost from like an opposite perspective, similarly with the character Bevers played by John Geberling, who is a fantastic improvisational comedian. But from my perspective, he might have been for the first two seasons, one of the weaker parts of the Uh show, just because there's a good amount of like cringe comedy that's inherent in Broad City in terms of the situations that they get themselves into. But I feel like he was like the cringiest of cringy comedy sometimes where like he just seemed like he was, again, another one of these like characterizations of just a really creepy, gross man. And he has been used very, very sparingly in Broad City season three. I don't think he was even in the season until like the past three episodes. And I was completely fine with that because, yeah, and I feel like the show is also, you know, trying to get its legs as well. One of my other favorite things about the show is its use of sort of surreal imagery and surreal cinematography. Antonio, you were talking about Ilana, you know, doing cartwheels and grabbing peaches from a guy's cart and feeding it to a dog. Um, But but we even have in like season one, season one's cold open is just the two of them in a drum off, which is just so completely random, but it's so great just to see. And, you know, I think Alana Glazer actually comes from like a percussion background. So just you could tell the two of them were just sitting around saying like, oh, you know, I, I always wanted to do this drum off. Let's do it. There is this one thing that I feel like a lot of people who don't watch Broad Study describe it as, which is like female stoner comedy. Uh, and I, you know, I watching the show, I really don't think that's true. I don't know. I don't know if you guys necessarily agree that like, yes, they do smoke weed, but it's not like every episode is about them smoking and weed, smoking weed and getting in like adult swim esque situations. No, there's not every episode, yeah. but there's definitely a big element of stoner comedy there. Yeah, sure. there's definitely some elements of it. I wouldn't say it's exclusively a stoner comedy, but I think it would be wrong to say that it's not a stoner comedy or it doesn't it's have a, some you know, of that it, DNA. It does a lot of genre blending. Yeah. Uh, I think that's another one of the strengths yeah. of the show. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Anyone have a don't think it hurts. I don't think it hurts the show. Like, I don't think the fact that they can have a sequence where, you know, a character is high, like they, you've had people be high on various medicines, uh, both prescribed by doctors or otherwise, uh, where you've seen their antics really kind of amp up or you see three Abbeys dancing around with a psychedelic background at one point, I think, uh, I don't think it detracts from the show in any way. I think it's very, very, very funny. And I think they don't, I think you're right that they go to Bevers a little too much, uh, especially in seasons one and two, but I think they've they've learned how to deploy Bev- Bever strategically so that he isn't just this like negative weapon that he's something they can use to their mm-hmm. their benefit. Uh, but before we move on from Broad City, you guys have any favorite guest star spots As- aside from, of course, Kelly Ripa? I feel like has to be the gold standard personally <laughs> because she did the she did the whole extras thing of coming in and playing a completely over-the-top version of herself. There's some great ones, and they're so great that I kind of don't even want to say. Like, I don't want to say who Alana's parents are. Right, you uh, can't. Like, yeah. There's just, like, there's some stuff that's just... And that's one of the things that the show does really well, is their guest star casting is just so spot-on. The cameos that they include are and never gratuitously used. 
news. It's never something that they're like overly relying on, but sometimes somebody will show up and you're like, of course that's who that character is. That's so good. Um, but I don't want to say, uh, cause I do think that it's, it's a show where a lot of those surprises, if you get that on the first time, that's really, really good to see on the first time. Without yeah. Knowing it, and so. I got one that I don't think is a surprise because you know, we, you couldn't, we'll, you'll just have to wait and see how the characters use, but uh, Alia Shawcott is probably the best one. I think, uh, although Patricia, Patricia oh, yeah. Clarkson was very good as well. Those are my two favorite, I think. Sure. Yeah, that's fun. <laughs> yeah, the way the way Aaliyah Shawkat was used, it's it's something that like you won't think about now if I just say Aaliyah Shawkat guest stars on Broad City. But once it happens, you're like, oh, that makes a yeah. lot of sense. Yeah, it all plays in. It. it all works really well. I mean, it makes no sense, but yet it makes all the sense in the world. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I, I mentioned The Simpsons before. I want to talk about a show that I know we've all seen at least a little bit of that I would personally call the closest thing that we've seen to the classic Simpsons since classic Simpson was on the air, which is Bob's Burgers. Wow. Which I know it's been talked about before. Um, Antonio, I know you, I think you brought up a Bob's Burgers episode when you guys were doing your big yes. Halloween special and talking about a bunch of different great Halloween episodes of TV shows. So yeah, Bob's Burgers is part of Fox's, I don't even, I don't remember if they call it animation domination anymore since like half their programming isn't animated on that night. Did anymore, animation domination it, get dominated? It might, it might have. Now it's like anima- animation submission uh, at this point, basically. Uh, so, yeah, Bob's Burgers, basically, it just sort of chronicles the life of a family that owns a burger restaurant in some sort of nondescript beachside town. But I, I compare it a lot to The Simpsons, not only in its humor style, but the fact that over the course of now going on six seasons, it has really built out this just really giant ensemble of child characters, adult characters. A lot of comedians come in and guest star on this, and they're all fantastic. And I love that they all come in and do recurring bits as well. So uh, the, Bob's Burgers is one of me and my wife's go-to shows. If we're just like bored, but we don't want to like think about anything, and we just kind of like want to relax with the show. If we want our next Netflix and chill basically uh, Yikes. and chill in the very clean sense of it. Uh, it's going to be Bob's burgers. Even if we just keep replaying the same episode over and over again, it's something that we always enjoy. Now, Antonio is the person who suggested a Bob's burgers episode for that aforementioned Halloween podcast. I'd love to hear your thoughts about that. Yeah, show. I love Bob's burgers. I feel like when you do an animated comedy, there are a lot of different ways you can go. And I think that you talk about the Simpsons writer writer's room, trying to fill as many frames of each episode as they can with jokes. I think that that plays well in The Simpsons, but a lot of the jokes on The Simpsons are almost Easter egg level. You see signs in the background, business names, things that are written on marquees, just really kind of, uh, I don't know, sardonic parody. There's a lot of wit in The Simpsons. Family Guy, the exact opposite. Almost no wit, but a machine gun (laughs) just firing as many jokes as they can at you. A lot of, remember that time this happened and then cut to that time this other thing happened. There's almost no wit in it, but it's really just high level pushing these things out in South Park. It, it is like low in terms of its, uh, I, in terms of the, the, the kind of, it really plays in the gutter, but a lot of what it's doing is super intelligent. So South Park is on a different level. Bob's Burgers is sweet. It's funny. It's smart like the Simpsons, but it is also very character based. There's a lot going on. It isn't the super high level parody of, of South Park where each episode is really a high level send up of something that's going on in society. It is much more a sitcom in that the characters get into situations and then they get, I would compare it to King of the Hill more than maybe other shows. I think the strength of the show is Damn in it, the- Bobby. Man, I'll tell you what. Yeah, I would really tell you that 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 Bob's Burgers is probably a lot like King of the Hill. Bobby's uh, Burgers. <laughs> Bob, damn it, Bobby's Burgers. That it works really well. <laughs> hey, 
Dad, I'm going to eat some burgers. <laughs> I'll sell propane. That's a horrible Bobby impression. Yeah. <laughs> propane and propane accessories, burgers, uh, and diner and restaurant. It And it, it helps that the characters are kind of lower middle class. I will just say they're not yep. the richest characters in the world. They don't have everything that they want. They do struggle. It is difficult for them. But it isn't like that's the center of the show. The center of the show is the family and, and the aspects of the family. It's just a really well-executed show. It's brilliant. The the character performances are fantastic, especially the children. I, I love Bob's Burgers. I can't say enough good things about it. Yeah. Josh, how much Bob's Burgers have you Not seen? And I'm, I'm curious, and I do you know like what when in the chronology no. you saw no these idea. episodes as well? No, I've cherry-picked episodes. I watched the Halloween one at Antonio's suggestion back for most shows recapped. Um, I'm sure I've seen others here and there, but none that I could specifically cite. The one that stands out in my memory the most right now is like this big water balloon fight uh that uh-huh. bob yeah that, that was like that was that was the most recent yeah, that, season with uh the the landlord who's actually voiced by kevin right. klein which i feel like again is one of like the fantastic voices they bring in he be, i won't spoil too much but he basically hosts a big it's like a the the what is it the the twilight zone or the movie where like they hunt down man like the most dangerous game basically but with water yeah balloons. so that that's my memory uh that's my most recent bob's burgers memory i've really enjoyed what i've seen of it um i'm not the type of guy that's just gonna sit down and digest the whole thing i will i will watch bits and pieces of it i unless you tell me that the chronology the continuity is super super important i'll probably watch yeah. it out of sequence more often than not that's how i attacked rick and morty which i'm very thankful that i did because rick and morty is one of my favorite things in existence right now yeah um, but I, but yeah. that's really how I've, how I, how I do those types of shows. And with Bob's burgers, I've taken a few slices here and there. I have not had the urge to sit down and Netflix and chill with Bob's burgers. Well, I think it's fine because again, outside of like, and I've done that too. I've, I've skipped episodes here and there. And when other characters pop up, they'll say like the characters do actually do a pretty good job of lampshading. Like, Oh, I remember when we did this with you. And Cause there are recurring characters. It's almost like, it's almost like 15 sideshow Bob's throughout this show as in characters that just keep popping up from time to time and again as as a as a big music producer josh i feel like you would love the songs on bob's burgers i mean uh-huh. they close their their end credits their ending slates always include some sort of song or music being played over a line from the episode many people online have clamored for like a bob's burgers music cd just because all their original songs i mean i'm just going to put out the word topsy there and i think those of you that watch bob's burgers will understand just how magical that is but i mean it's become like a I think it started as like a, a little kind of cult hit, but it's grown to something I would call like a little nest egg almost to go with the lower middle class analogy of, you know, it's not getting a huge amount of numbers, but everyone who watches it really enjoys it. In fact, like a cookbook just came out with a, where a, a big fan made burgers themed after the ones that Bob writes on the chalkboard every day. And one of those little Easter egg gags that Antonio was talking about. So I feel like it has a very small, Consider, you know, by rating standards, but very devoted fan base. What's with these cartoons and their chalkboard gags? I mean, maybe it's just a very direct homage to, you know, their animation ancestors. But I mean, you called it you called it a Simpsons successor to this show. Can you tell me more what you mean about that? So it basically goes along with what Antonio was talking about in terms of I think early Simpsons was best known for blending these this fantastic wit and this great sense of comedy in with a great ensemble. I mean, I think the classic years of the Simpsons were all about, OK, we know the family, but let's hear Apu's story. Let's hear Principal Skinner's story, et cetera, et cetera. Let's hear Mr. Burns story. And Bob's Burgers starts to do that a little bit. They've really fleshed out a great ensemble of characters. In fact, my favorite character of the entire show is a kid by the name of regular sized Rudy, uh, who 
just sort of shows up, but for some reason I am absolutely in love with him. Um, but I feel like it combines with that, as Antonio said, a sense of, I wouldn't say like heart and emotion, but the fact that like everything does pretty much settle back into status quo like a sitcom. But there is some character development as well. You know, Louise, when she started off and she's voiced fantastically by Kristen Schaal, uh, who actually is on like two different shows during this Sunday night block, both in live action and animation, which is great. She's a fantastic talent. But she started off as almost like this Bart Simpson clone of like this sycophant, uh, almost like sociopathic person but they have had many episodes where they flesh out her emotions where they give her someone to have a crush on where they have her feel bad for someone or something that she did and apologize and make up the situation Uh, i think the big breakout star of the show might be the character of tina belcher uh which is you know voiced a lot of these male characters are voiced by females and vice versa so tina is voiced by a male and she's given this very like monotone voice which makes almost all of her line deliveries absolutely fantastic and they give her you know she's going through puberty so they're giving her a lot of those storylines which they're not able to do on the simpsons but to me what makes it so akin to the simpsons uh probably more so than king of the hill from my perspective at least is that it combines this insane uh very detailed humor in with emotional and almost feel good storylines that have you feeling warm by the end of it there might be some episodes where like they're back at square one there might even they might even be worse off than they were before but you're not gonna walk away you know pointing and laughing at them like you might during like an episode of it's always sunny in philadelphia yeah i think that's true i feel that way about king of the hill but i think that i think king of the hill also has a lot more in common with the simpsons than either of these any of these shows do with just like a crap fest like family guy uh where it's just (laughs) You know, just firing jokes and having manatees push thought balls across a a tank so that you can come up with something. But uh, all these shows are really, they're really clever. They're smart. They're charming. They're funny. They're all those things. But at their core, there's a heart. And the the heart ultimately means that you're going to want to come back and watch these characters from episode to episode. Whereas I think Family Guy does have more in common with the It's Always Sunny of the World, where the characters maybe are not super redeeming, but you're, you're coming back because they're doing really funny things that you find funny over. Over and over. So I want to move to HBO. Uh, we're still on television, though, even though it's not television, it's HBO. So I know ah. a little something called Game of Thrones is coming up in a couple weeks. I don't know if you guys have heard of it. I have never uh, heard of this show ever in my but life. I, f- I feel like Game of Thrones has a fantastic follower, which is a, a series of three comedy shows. Uh, nice one, Josh. I'd squeeze that one in there. Uh, yeah. I. I mean, I would call it three comedy shows. I think you might argue that the third one might not be considered a comedy show as much as it's more so like a news program, but we can talk about that. But uh, after Game of Thrones airs, it's going to be an hour of Veep and Silicon Valley, followed by Last Week Tonight with John Oliver, which I personally think is probably one of the biggest and most entertaining blocks on comedy of comedy television today. Uh, I think I love all three of these shows. We can obviously boil down and pick them apart one by one. Um, Silicon Valley was something I'd watched from the beginning last week tonight as well. Veep. I'd actually watched the first season and sort of forgot about and only caught up in the past couple months. And it is an incredible show. In my opinion, it's just coming off of a best comedy win as well. Uh, before we really dive in, do you guys have any thoughts about this sort of triumvirate of HBO comedy shows and how they, I know Antonio, you and I kind of talked about with Silicon Valley before about what HBO comedy kind of has going for it. Do you think it's very representative of the HBO comedy scene at the moment? 
Yeah, I think so. I, I think that they, I think ultimately it may be years before we look back and be like, wow, I can't believe that HBO put Silicon Valley, Veep, and Last Week Tonight with John Oliver on the same night as Game of Thrones. It may be their most kind of, I, I don't know what to say. Sopranos and Deadwood were on at the same time. So it's hard to say that it's their best night ever, but it's it's coming very close to that. And I think in a way that people aren't necessarily recognizing right now, Veep is almost God status in terms of its level as a TV comedy. And Silicon Valley is right there. And John Oliver is viral every single week. He's doing a better job getting viral bits than most of the other nightly shows are. And maybe, maybe that's because he only runs once a week. So I think not only do these shows fit in with HBO's sense of, I think this is a really kind of like a headline level awesome night of TV that they have that I think we'll look back on years from now and be like, wow, that was their peak. That was peak HBO when they had Game of Thrones followed by Silicon Valley Veep and Last Week Tonight with John Oliver. So, Josh, I know I don't think you've you've seen I, you probably have seen some John Oliver clips here and there, but I, I've, I've, seen, told- I've seen a decent amount of John Oliver. I've seen okay. ab- absolutely no Veep or Silicon Valley. Uh, okay, so I wish so- I could say that my excuse was purely that I record a Game of Thrones podcast immediately after the airing of Game of Thrones. So that's why I don't watch those shows. That's probably not accurate enough. Uh, I can't hide behind that defense. There would be plenty of other opportunities where I could DVR those shows or watch them. Just haven't gotten around to doing it. I've, I've heard nothing but great things about both shows. Yeah, I was gonna, I was going to ask as someone who hadn't seen any of the shows, I'm intrigued to hear from like an outsider perspective. What what have you heard is the word about, you know, you can focus on Veep and Silicon Valley specifically since obviously you see John Oliver yourself, but I, I you know, since it's on HBO, we don't know exactly how the ratings fare, especially compared to a juggernaut like Game of Thrones. So I especially from a journalistic aspect as well, I'm I'm intrigued to know always how people view these shows that might be you know, even though Veep again won the Emmy, they might be a little more under the radar than something like The Big Bang Theory, which is constantly the highest rated comedy on television. Right. No, I mean, I I know very little about the shows. I know that, uh, you know, people love Julia, uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus. She's won how many Emmys for this specific role? A lot. I think she's, she's, she's won it every season she's been you in know, so far uh, so far. Yeah. So I think that, you know, critical acclaim is on that show's side. I don't think that it's a show that's ignored. It's going into what? It's fifth season um, mm-hmm. coming up. Is that right? Yep. Um, you know, so a show doesn't, you know, last as long as it has with the amount of praise and acclaim that it's gotten um, and is in any, you know, real danger unless, you know, creatively people are like, eh, let's not do this anymore. But everything that I hear is super, super overwhelmingly positive about that show. Um, Silicon Valley, I, I really know absolutely nothing about. <laughs> I, I know nothing about it except that there was a great character in the first season who was played by an actor who unfortunately died in real life and they had to mm-hmm. write him out. And that character was supposed to be a huge breakout and everyone was very, very upset, not just at the loss of a human life, but also at the loss of a really, really great character. Yeah, that, and it was, and again, Antonio and I talked about it. It was very sad, uh, but let's let's actually start out with Silicon Valley because Antonio and I did cover the beginning of season two, but we didn't cover the end of season two, which definitely, again, not to spoil too much, but the end of season two definitely shakes things up. Uh, aside from a major character death, which starts out the season, there are a lot of shakeups and trials and tribulations of this company. Without going into too, too much detail, Antonio, what, are your, what were your thoughts about season two of Silicon Valley overall? 
Silicon Valley is walking kind of this great high wire where they're producing a show with a lot of narrative stakes and with a very kind of high concept narrative stakes. When you talk about the development of software and all these very specific numbers and terms that don't make a ton of sense, but you understand the importance to the characters and what these individual incidents with regard to their software and their little fledgling company mean. Uh, And even though the jokes are making fun of a lot of the kind of stuff that maybe we don't know as well, the the venture capital industry and Silicon Valley funding and tech and stuff like that. There's enough broad in the parody that I think it makes a lot of sense to everybody who watches. And I think season two really continued to find the funny in these incidents where you were also really feeling for the characters and hoping, rooting for wins and rooting for successes. I think they do a really great job of balancing that out. The show... I think could just devolve into a show whose tone was very kind of single-minded or very narrow. But I think the show just does a fantastic job uh, of covering a broad range uh, in terms of the spectrum of what it's doing. And at the end of the season, putting a nice bow on everything. So it all goes down really well. There are some really, I mean, you, you have the, the probably the most high concept dick joke ever in history <laughs> uh, on uh-huh. Silicon Valley. And it somehow works. Like it's not just that it is completely, foul and raunchy and vulgar and all of it but it is also you laugh at how ridiculous these characters are getting in terms of the math involved like there's a lot going on and i love tj miller i love a lot of the people that are on this show i think they're doing great work on this show Mm -hmm. all the actors just have great backgrounds it all even though there's a horrible you know that 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 christopher m welch or whoever just dies in season one uh and and they have to address that in the context of the show that's tough and i don't think the show missed a beat as a result of that happening, the replacement characters, oh my God, can we talk about how funny uh, some of the characters they have in season yeah, two Chris are? Diamantopoulos or whatever his name is, as yeah. Mr. Billions. <laughs> yes, as as Russ Hanneman, just really just a hilarious character. So he's playing like Mark Cuban on Coke. Like, it's just ridiculous if you think about that. So there's a lot that Silicon Valley brings to the table. Josh, I would say go watch it, like almost immediately. Yeah. Because really? it's coming back. Yeah, it's just so funny. It takes yeah. a little while. I think to really hit its stride in terms of how funny it can be. But by the end of season two, it is there for sure. Well, in terms, so in terms of all the shows that we've talked about so far, you would say ding, 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 go watch Silicon Valley. No, I would say everyone should watch broad city. Like they should stop. Well, for me, I've seen broad city. So so far I I would say Silicon Valley, but we can talk more about the rest of these. It's, it's tough because it's a rave choice for me to decide between Silicon Valley and veep. Because again, I fell in love with veep so soon. It's my most recent love as opposed to Silicon Valley, which is my, you know, my summer camp girlfriend that I kind of always get to go back to and, and, you know, feel the You're love. You're still going that. to summer camp? Well, well, you know, she's, she's always there. She's in, she's in the, she's in computer club. So I thought, you know, I'd come visit her in the computer lab. Mike, aren't, I, I aren't you married? Yeah. This got very strange. Yes. Did she oh, just well, go to well, another well, school? We've never met her. No, this is all my wife. She's oh, my represented wife. In, all, in all these shows. <laughs> I got it. Uh, okay, all right. So, um, but I completely agree with you about Silicon Valley. To me, I think the character growth in season two was exceptional, specifically Thomas Middleditch as Richard. Uh, just seeing him, I mean, I think the, the problem but the, and the humor that came with his character in the first season was that he was very socially awkward and was not able to really have the CEO of a startup company hoisted upon him. But season two sees him actually kind of growing some balls, for lack of a better term, and kind of dealing with this 
and making more impetuous decisions. Uh, but I mean, their hijinks are still absolutely fantastic. I, I, I love specifically like taking these concepts that you said, Antonio, of office life or general techiness and applying it to ridiculous situations. Like we obviously talked about the season one thing. Season two has uh, Kumail Nanjiani and Martin Starr d- doing a SWOT analysis, a strengths, weakness, opportunities uh, analysis of killing someone uh, to see like take, I, if I kill someone and take their girlfriend, what are the pros and cons of that? Not killing uh, they, them, letting them die. Just letting, letting them, them die. die. Let, letting them do like a death defying stunt, basically. Yes. Uh, which and I, I absolutely just love how they basically just spent the whole episode doing that. And I, I agree this this panel is so fleshed out. I would argue uh, Kumail Nanjiani is almost on a parallel path of Hannibal Burris in terms of uh, a really indie startup comic. But once they started getting on these shows, really just blew up. And Kumail Nanjiani luckily did not have to drag any celebrities through the mud in order to do so. Uh, but I, he's been doing fantastic work as well, as they all have. I want to talk a little bit about Veep. Uh, Josh, you know, JLD's on this. Uh, I would arguably, and I don't know if, you know, Mr. Silicon Valley, Antonio, if, if you would agree with me on this, I would call Veep the best comedic ensemble on, t- on TV right now, in my opinion. I think, uh, and again, maybe it's just because I fell in love with the show so recently, but I feel like there is not a character on this show who ever drops the ball. I feel like each character has its place. The writers do an amazing job of holding in on these characteristics to the point of where like in any scene I can imagine, yeah, I can point to a character and imagine what their reaction would be. And it's not predictable. The writing is like, I can't talk enough about how killer this writing is. It's so barbed. There are more profanities in it. You talk about broad city, I, I mean, I think V probably put the FCC out of business in terms of how profane it is. In terms v of its goes insults. full bloom. It, it really doesn't. Maybe that's another reason why I fell in love with it. I mean, a big reason why I fell in love with it, and I'll, I'll use big as, a, as a, a very memorable sense here, is probably the character of Jonah Ryan, who I wouldn't call him a breakout, but he's just such a, an, an enigma of a character on television that all the situations that he gets into and everything he says, I, I like bust a gut always watching him. But it is a little cringy, which I'll admit. Uh, you know, obviously it's about kind of an inept vice president, uh, not to be compared to someone that might have been elected vice president at some point, but the comparisons are definitely there. Uh, but basically her and her staff trying to navigate these day-to-day political outcomes. It's almost like the West Wing, but if the West Wing was written by, it was, you know, if the West Wing went to clown college, essentially, that, that's what Veep is. It's these bumbling fools trying to figure out their way around Washington politics. And the, again, not to spoil too much, but they changed the game throughout the series. And they definitely changed the game in terms of the showrunner, Armando Iannucci, who left at the end of the fourth season. So they're kind of captainless right now. But I'm still, I think the show is super solid, and I'm excited to see where they go starting on the 24th. It's got Anna Chlumsky in it. I love Anna Chlumsky. Yeah, yeah. And nobody gets nobody gets stung by bees this time. So she's no, <laughs> I thought that was in her writer that that has to happen in everything. Nobody, she's involved I mean, you with. have to get stung by bees every show that Anna Chlumsky's on. Optional that the person stung by bees dies, but somebody has to get stung by a bee. Nothing you can say could take me away from uh, my from this show, uh, from the way it works. I just I think it all plays out really well. I just I I will say. The reason I wouldn't just immediately recommend it to everyone full stop is it is super cringy and that's fine. It's funny as hell. Like it is hilarious. It's funnier than Silicon Valley across the board. Silicon Valley has probably 
higher highs or at least as high highs. But Veep no, that, moment that would be to broad moment. City. Yeah, fair point. Sonar comedy. I got you. Uh, but moment to moment, Veep is is off the charts. Like every scene with every character is not there to set up story so much as it's playing comedy throughout. You can tell there's probably a fair amount of improvisational work that's going on. Uh, maybe not exclusively. I think that there is a lot that's written. It's very clear. But you can just tell a lot of the reactions from characters are like, I had no idea that you were going to say that. I'm really taken aback by it. So I'm going to roll with it. And they just roll. There's There's so much cringe in Veep. It is almost yeah. exclusively based, especially the first couple of seasons, on cringe. Like the idea that these people don't have their act together plays out every single episode. And so how that manifests is they're constantly screwing up. And their screwing up is putting the Veep in just terrible situations. And then the best part of Julia Louis-Dreyfus's performance is... She has to put a very public face on the screw up and try to deal with it in the moment. And then as soon as the screw up is in private, she is oh off the handle. God. Yeah, So it's much great. vitriol from so this So much woman. vitriol it's for fantastic. her staff and for everyone that put her in the positions where she is cringing and working her way through. So if you don't like cringe, Veep is going to be a little bit of a tougher watch. But if you don't have a problem with it or even if you enjoy it and you're not watching Veep, Veep is amazing. Yeah, and oh, I would cringe. say even just it's find a great YouTube. Sci-fi show. Oh God! Yes, exactly. They're all gonna. I was about to quote Dollhouse, but I realized that Dollhouse is very different from Fringe in terms of Fox low-rated sci-fi hits. They uh, called I, it cringe in the alternate dimension. There it is. I was going to say that. I would say even if you just want to YouTube the scenes where Julia Louis Dreyfus has to make small talk with people, those are some of my favorite scenes on Veep. I would always compare them to like the town hall scenes from Parks and Recreation. Right. In terms of it's it's a it's a well that you can always go back to, and there will always be humor out of it. Because as you said, Antonio, she has to put on a very public face, but she's not very good at putting on a public face. No. So you can tell she's like very disinterested. Sometimes she just can't come up with things. And this this entire time, you have Tony Hale uh, as Gary just whispering bring in her ear everything which thank god that man won two emmys granted it might have been you know posthumous for buster bluth but i think you know especially in the again if we're talking about character development this past season brought some big moments for his character for anna klumsky's character where you know not spoiling anything but they have very poignant scenes with selena meyer where they you know they've been her dogs for the past four years and they finally get a word in and it's just it's great from like a cathartic perspective to watch that happen. So again, I'm interested to see where Armando Iannucci t- or the lack of Armando Iannucci is able to take this show because if community is any sign, sometimes when showrunners leave, it can be a little tough, but I'm still excited. Uh, let's segue to the HBO show that Josh actually has seen uh, last week tonight with John Oliver, which is sort of like, I don't know whether to call it co- comedy or like late night. Essentially it's, you know, John Oliver's kind of take on the John Stewart you know, uh, John, Stephen Colbert, Larry Wilmore genre, where he essentially just takes a look at the issues from the week. I would say what distinguishes his style from the other late night comedians is that he deals with much more substantial subjects. In my opinion, it's not so much about this is what happened this past week. He'll do that for the first like 10 minutes, but the rest of it is dedicated about like, okay, let's talk about income tax. Let's talk about FIFA. And he's gained a lot of traction for his viral clips, but also the fact that like, <coughs> Like he he might have actually affected some of these issues. I'm thinking about the FIFA one specifically. Josh, I'm intrigued to know what what are some of the John Oliver clips that you remember having seen. 
Well, I mean, I think that the big one that's been circulating recently was the whole Trump thing. And mm-hmm. I think if you're if you're trying to look at impact of John Oliver and the way that he can really be, you know, heard loud and clear, even when he's doing one 30 minute segment on HBO per week during the on season, look no further than the fact that this whole Trump thing went super viral. Probably, you know, people who had never even heard of John Oliver before were, you know, buying and wearing Trump hats or at least, you know, act activating the Trump filter or seeing hashtag Trump and not to get, you know, into the politics of anything or whatever. That's, you know, for another show, another time. Uh, I, I just think that that sort of impact that he has and the way that he so incisively cuts things down when he sees bullshit, the way that he sort of, um, you know, the way that he crafts and molds and shapes that pile of steaming hot stuff into something that's really remarkably artful and funny is really almost, almost unparalleled I think on TV right now he's a really funny guy he's a really smart guy I think given the fact that the Daily Show has basically zero buzz these days I think that they're probably really kicking themselves that they weren't able to lock him down when he was the Jon Stewart temp Uh, so I feel like uh, yeah I think that what he's doing on TV right now is really pretty special yeah. Antonio, I would say, you know, you're very politically savvy. You're very wired, I feel like, into the issues that are facing our country. I mean, I would again, I argue that John Oliver really takes some of these more grounded issues that our country is facing on a perennial basis and really dedicates time and humor to them. I mean, do you enjoy that aspect specifically? What what, what do you like about the show overall? I was never a huge John Oliver fan. I'm a big community fan. He was on community. I didn't think he was that funny as just a comedic actor. I wasn't sure why he was getting the kind of rub that he got other than I thought maybe he's British. So it's kind of a funny edge or whatever, but man, I got to tell you, he really is just so smart, whip smart with his writing. And it's the sort of, it's the sort of thing where a joke can hit harder than a punch sometimes because a joke tickles your ribs and slides right through and stabs you in the heart. Like he's very clever about how he makes his points. I know. I think about death all the time Uh, and violence. Yep. Yep, that's what I do. I sit here on my computer like a Roomba. I return to my station and I just think dark thoughts uh, about the things that are facing our country, like Mike was saying. But what I would say ultimately is John Oliver goes on these, he just, it's like Lewis Black in, in some ways because they're rants, right? But the rants are so grounded in, they make these logical kind of progressions where he'll start with a point and say, let me tell you about what Donald Trump really is. Then he cites facts. Then he cites articles. Then he cites information. He uses is kind of the most crushing kind of counterpoints to make his points. And I think that he's kind of unique in his effectiveness. I'm not saying that he's like the most brilliant comedian because a lot of his shtick I don't, I don't love. I don't love his delivery all the time, but I think in terms of the intelligence level and finding a way to make an intelligent point uh, while doing it funny, I do think that the DNA he shares is with The Daily Show. I agree completely. They have to be really kicking themselves that yeah. they'd let him go. Um, John Stewart just wasn't ready to leave at a time when John Oliver got a great offer from HBO, so that was that. If they had paid him the money up front right then, you know, maybe they keep him, but they weren't able to do that. And that's a huge loss because 
I think this show is even more effective than The Daily Show because it takes the almost 30 minutes of its show sometimes about one individual subject. And he goes on these extended rants that make a ton of sense uh, with evidence presented over and over and over again to really hammer a point home. A lot of the times they reach a hilarious crescendo where he's jumping away from his desk and dancing on stage or singing a song about something. Uh, sometimes they don't do that, but they're always really effective. And almost every one of his longer pieces is trending on Facebook, trending on Twitter the next day. So that's a, yeah. to me, the hallmark of a really effective show. I mean, I was, he films in New York. So I was actually there. One of my friends is a writer for the show. I was there for probably one of his first big viral moments, which was his rant uh, against the whole, uh, I, I forget the name of that. When the, when the companies were trying to like basically buy the internet, uh, I forget the oh, name like of the net neutrality, like net neutrality. That's yeah. what it was. I mean, I was yeah. totally blanky on that, but yeah, that was his first big thing. When, as you said, Antonio, there were confetti cannons going off. He went, he got up from his desk. He looked right in the camera. He made this huge speech and it's, it's those grandiose gestures that I love about the show. I feel like it can become predictable sometimes when you like, know, okay, he's going to talk about the week, take a look a little interstitial. Then he'll talk about another issue. Uh, but I mean, the content itself is fantastic. He must have a hell of a research team because, again, these issues are so, some of them, you know, trail from like 50 or 60 years of injustice and he tracks it down and he facts checks it. He had an interview with Edward Snowden and Stephen Hawking. That's, that's absolutely killer. And the fact that he's able to go through all that just for the sake of his show is great. I do agree his humor is very interesting. I'm not entirely 100% on the... He makes a lot of analogies, I feel like. He'll yeah, say that's like, where it doesn't work as much. You're right. Yeah. It's, and again, it's, it's, that, it's that rat-a-tat comedy of you're serving up all these volleyballs, and sometimes the analogies will work, and sometimes they won't. And you can even tell from the audience reaction sometimes which ones work and which ones don't. But I feel like another thing that he has going for him is how global... He talks about too. I mean, again, he talked about FIFA. FIFA. He went off against like the Australian What's prime that? minister who actually had a response against him. <laughs> uh, FIFA. Uh, Josh is a video game about soccer that a lot yeah, of bros yeah. like to play. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, he even there was that segment I think at the beginning of season two about smoking, and he actually got like not only Jeff the disease lung mascot, but he actually got like bus stops to put up Jeff the disease lung mascots like around South America. So it's it's weird to see the global impact he has as well just because The Daily Show and and you know Larry Wilmore and even Full Frontal with Samantha B which I is also a great show. They're they're very focused on a specific American issue. So John Oliver is really casting the net wide. And as a result, I feel like he's bringing in a lot more comedic potential. Uh, I do have a few honorable mentions of other shows that are on TV with, but to just briefly mention, but before I do that, guys, do you have any final <coughs> thoughts about any of these shows that we talked about for the past hour overall? I know Antonio, you said probably like pen to, you know, gun to your head, what you would suggest to probably binge first would either be Broad City or Silicon Valley, correct? Yeah, only because I just feel like those are shows that don't contain the kind of thing that's going to put somebody at a dis-ease like Veep, where if you don't like cringe comedy, Veep is just not going to be your flavor. Mm -hmm. Josh, do you have a game plan now or any, any of these new shows that you're going to try to jump into immediately? Or do you have a suggestion of one of these shows that you want people to start watching immediately if they haven't yet? Yeah, I mean, truth be told, I wish that I could just like go and start watching Silicon Valley, but I'm just like I'm mired in Game of Thrones right now, and yeah. I can barely, you're, you're, I can barely, you're, di you're dialed back for an hour before Silicon Valley. Yeah, you're so on I can that, so. I can barely watch anything else right now. I would co-sign on Broad City. I think Broad City is really good. I'm I'm curious to check out at least uh, the first couple of episodes of Kimmy Schmidt. You know, if I'm if if I'm pacing a year on Kimmy Schmidt already, if that's basically where I am to start with, I think that I will 
do as well for year two of Kimmy Schmidt. I feel like yeah. I can finish Kimmy Schmidt two in a year. And then the only other thing is I will double down and say girl season five is some of my favorite TV that's on right now. So I'll, yeah. I'll have to watch that. We'll save that for Bloom's comedy room. Part two. Okay. Uh, part two. Uh, yeah, but but uh, I mean, before you know it, Josh, if you pace one Kimmy Schmidt episode every month, before you know it, it'll be more Kimmy Schmidt. Because I think it, it might have gotten renewed for season three. Netflix is weird like that, where they just sort of renew things in chunks. Uh, before we go, there are a few shows that I said I'd like to mention that not all of us have seen. They're on TV right now, and I briefly want to mention them. Uh, there's a show called The Characters that dropped on Netflix. It's a really interesting concept. Essentially, a comedian, an up-and-coming comedian, gets 30 minutes to do whatever they want. And obviously with a lot of different comedians. There's a lot of variants. Some of it is very good. Some of it is very bad, but I encourage you to check it out on Netflix. Specifically, very first one you should watch is the Tim Robinson episode. Uh, episode nine, I believe it is. Tim Robinson was a featured player on SNL. I think he's still in the writer's room. I think he absolutely kills it. Uh, so definitely check that out. And if you want to... At first, I thought you were just, you know, mis misspelling or mispronouncing Tim Robbins. And I was yeah, just like well, waiting I, it, for my moment, but it's just it a, seems it's a like a different it, man. Well, it's a 30 minute sequel to Mystic River. Uh-huh. That we, of course, we all needed. Uh, so yeah, Tim... <laughs> Definitely check out Tim Robbins. I'm confused on the mechanics of how that would be possible it's given not, the movie. It's, it's not Tim Robbins. It's Tim Robbins' son. Oh, it's his oh, son. Yeah. Yes. It's, 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 yeah. Exactly. It's I a sequel. Know. Yeah. He's, and he's back know. for revenge. Uh-huh. Uh, I would definitely recommend the show Catastrophe on Amazon Prime or Amazon, I guess, streaming service. Uh, it's a comedy from Rob Delaney and Sharon Horgan, who are a American and British comedian, respectively. Basically, it's like a, a drawn-out rom-com. They have a one-night fling, almost like a knocked-up type of thing. She gets pregnant. He has to fly back, and they essentially try to figure out their relationship throughout. Very well done, especially by rom-com standards. They really get down to the heart of their relationship while also talking about dealing with comedic situations as well. It's very British, very dry. Uh, So if you're into that type of stuff, I'd absolutely say check it out. I am probably paying penance for this because as a comedy fan and as a musical theater fan, I've only seen probably three episodes of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend so far. Uh, But from what I've seen, I'm absolutely liked. So I would recommend that to you guys as well, you two musical theater fans as well, just because it's her song, Rachel Bloom, and you know maybe it's a... It's a, it's a ah, little bit of why. synergy on my part, uh, but I feel like she does a great job. The songs are funny. The performances are good. I think it's just a nice thing to chew on sometimes. Uh, the main character can be a little unlikable sometimes, but I, that might just be to the credit of the show, just because as the title alludes to, she changes a boy out to a completely new city on a completely new coast. So again, almost like Kimmy Schmidt, it starts out with this weird, weird, weird concept, but it really goes light from there. Unlikable. Uh, <laughs> it's unlikable. on, damn it. Uh, uh, speaking of unlikable protagonists, uh, I talked about Last Man on Earth with Rich Tackenberg back in May. It's in its second season, and if you got off of this show because you didn't like the protagonist or you felt like the ensemble wasn't built out enough, definitely come back for season two. Season two, in my opinion, is fantastic. They gave storylines to all the ensemble characters. They're really building them out as non-two-dimensional, and Will Forte's character got very, very humanized. He is not jerk-ass Phil anymore. He's a much more more well-rounded character and and uh Kristen Schaal again Louise on Bob's Burgers kills it in live action as well so those are some shows that I would definitely recommend uh and you know as Josh alluded to Rick and Morty coming back some point watch that Bojack it's Horseman, so good Morty it's Bojack Horseman which I love as well watch that as well there's a there's so much great TV that's why it took us over an hour to talk about 10 different TV shows so definitely check out as much comedy as you can there's a lot of great stuff out there Thank you, Mike Bloom. Look at that, Antonio. 
Yeah, this is awesome. Like, I love the Mike Bloom comedy womb or whatever it's called. The comedy womb. No, we, that's we a full just bloom. Gave, that's a full bloom. We just gave birth to uh, a podcast. Full bloom, full bloom. Oh. Yes, I Three enjoyed the podcast. bloom room as well. I had a great time here in the bloom comedy room. Let's go hashtag bloom comedy room. Follow Mike on Twitter. He will tell you more about comedy and all of the great things that you need to be watching at a Mike Bloom type. Antonio is at AC Mazzaro, two Z's, one R. I'm at Round Howard. Anything else, gentlemen? No, I'm going to no. take that deafening silence as a no. <laughs> no. I, I will say, if you, if you follow me on Twitter, I am uh, concurrently rewatch. I'm watching for the first time Seinfeld, uh, Freaks and Geeks, and The West Wing. So, if you want to wow. track my progress and my feelings about any of those classic shows, uh, hit me up. Well, and, <laughs> and I've been enjoying your podcast with AJ Mass, Mike, where you're tapping yes. into uh, some of these classic movies that you haven't necessarily. You under trying to understand David Lynch has been one of my favorite little treats of the last few weeks. <laughs> So emphasis I would encourage on trying <laughs> I would I, that that would be where the emphasis should be appropriately placed. I would encourage everybody to check out you and AJ Mass on the hamster factor, your podcast, where AJ is trying to expose you to some of the things that he loves that are movies that you just haven't seen. Considering the fact that you haven't seen Seinfeld, The West Wing or Freaks and Geeks, this is not surprising that you haven't seen some of these sci fi and cult classics. I'm just dying for the time when the movie of the week is Pink Flamingos and you're you're in full John Waters territory. You talk about full blown. That that's going to be a classic episode of the Hamster Factory. Well, that's I like hairspray, so maybe. Oh yeah, it's exactly the John same, Waters. Mike. Same exact movie, not any different. <laughs> Great, at all. it's a hairspray too. Yes, hairspray it's Robinson. It's like a prequel. Oh my god, it's like a prequel. Terrifying. Yeah. Terrifying. Anyway. And then one last thing before we close out here uh, is Antonio. While we were podcasting, sent me the description for the aforementioned today's special about the mannequins. Yes, this this is the description for anyone who, like me, does not know what today's special is. This is of the a lead mannequin. character. This is of the lead ma- character. This is the lead character. This is the main character. A mannequin with a magic hat that makes him come to life when someone says, Hocus Pocus, Alamogocus. <laughs> if it comes off his head, he turns back into a mannequin. What a shame. He can't leave the store or he will become one permanently. <gasps> he can only go outside onto the building's roof of, or in very rare episodes when traveling by magic. Very rare. Because he has not been alive for very long, he knows little about many everyday objects, at least in the earlier seasons. However, he is often shown to be a fast learner, a deep thinker, and a source of ideas. He is also a very talented dancer, which he gets to show off at some point in nearly every episode <laughs> though he wishes that he was not bound by the rules of the spell that keeps him alive he puts his friends needs first he's a mannequin Wait, so, mensch wow. so he all he turns into a mannequin only when that specific out-of-date magical phrase is said who said it's out of date I, I don't know i feel like david blaine isn't saying hocus pocus allegocus anytime soon <laughs> You know, you never know. First of all, know how many, first of all, it's Alan Mugokus. Second of all, maybe Antonio's favorite David Copperfield is going to use. I was going to say, you know my thoughts on magic, Mike. You know my thoughts on magic. If I'm all, well, I know your thoughts on magic, Mike. James Tatum's great. He's really good. He's really, really, really good. What's the mannequin's name? I forget. Like, like it's just a normal name. It's not like mannequin. I hope it was Mannequin. Yeah. Yeah. Because the show sounds so stupid, his name should be Mannequin. It was a Canadian show. I can understand. I think his name was Jeff. It looks like his name might have been Jeff. (laughs) That's great. This was on Nickelodeon when I was a kid in the uh, mid to late 80s. And so Uh, maybe not. I look forward to seeking this out. But yeah, this is. uh, So I I think. 
I think we found the one. This is the one that I'm going to yeah, check forget out. I'm Sil- going forget to- Broad City. <laughs> forget Silicon Valley. Yeah. So the punchline to this podcast is everybody go watch today's special. Uh, <laughs> that's where we're going to end. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll be back next week with another Mo Shows recap. Antonio, do you remember what we're doing for next week? Oh, no. I have no idea. Do you remember? I believe I do remember. I think that we're going into night manager mode. That well, Ooh. yeah, I think that's right because that's debuting on AMC. It's been uh, it's been kind of teased a lot. Tom Hiddleston, uh, Gregory House. His name's not Gregory House, but uh, <laughs> Hugh Laurie. <laughs> his name is Hugh Laurie. Uh, also, also, so, also did a great turn on Veep this past season as well. He's everywhere. Yeah, so this is dropping on AMC Tuesday, April nineteenth, uh, which is this upcoming Tuesday. So we'll be talking about it next week here on Most Shows Recap. It's uh, it's a limited series engagement here at AMC. It should be very good, hopefully. Looking forward to that. That'll be fun. So we'll get back together to talk about that show next week. Thanks everybody for tuning in. Subscribe to what we're doing. Postshowrecaps.com slash iTunes or for the most shows feed only postshowrecaps.com slash MSR iTunes. Mike, thanks so much. This was really fun. Antonio, thank you for introducing me to today's special. You're welcome. Hocus Pocus Alamogocus, Josh. All right. Oh no, I'm turning back into a mannequin. (laughs) All right. Put him back in the bloom closet. All right. Uh. Bye everybody. It's done. Today's special show, it's for everyone. Today's special, come join in the fun. With magic everywhere, a world for us to share. And friendly faces, hoping that you want to meet us there. For today's special it's about to appear, it's about to appear. Today's special, shout it loud and clear. Today's special. Today's special is adventure. <laughs>